Warning! What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem! I'm Nick. And I'm Zach. Welcome to We're in Fear, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world! He's like, I got a question. Yeah. Sometimes I ask you questions. Sometimes I got all the answers. All right. Well, hopefully that's one of these nights. It's an mm-hmm. easy question. Do you like to or have desires to travel? Do you want to travel around? I do. Do some stuff? Maybe wish the world was a little more open. Maybe fly around. Do some things you haven't done before because perhaps you realize that, you know, these, we should take advantage of these opportunities whenever we get them. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, somewhere I'd like to go. Where? Oh, well, we'll get there. Hold on. Okay. We're going to go for a journey. We're going to travel, okay? So let's, let's travel somewhere. Let's travel to the beginning of the universe. Wow. Okay. All right. I don't All know right. if I can get there, but... Yeah, it's quite a... Uh, definitely a destination unknown. Um, but it would be a... Uh, yeah, it'd be quite the trip. All right. Again, we're going back to the beginning of the universe. Okay. Reality itself. Well, initially, there was just Poe. The Black Chaos. Poe? Just Poe. Okay. It's Black Chaos. Could you compare it to The Void? I'd say it's pretty comparable. Sounds Just, comparable. You know? But then sentience started to swarm within Poe. And realizing they were not the same as Poe, there's going to be some words and names in this episode. Bear with me as I pronounce them. Okay. Kane, Kanaloa, Ku, and Lono. Well, they separated themselves from him, from Poe, and then Kane created the light to push back Poe, because, of course, Poe was the black chaos that was the darkness. Lono then created sound and filled the universe with it, while Ku gave its substance, materials, like stuff. The tree of Kane, Poe, and Lono would go on to create lesser gods, and they Metahune, a race of small messengers and craftspeople who would enjoy a good banana or two. That's what they like to eat, bananas. And live deep within the caves and forests that would eventually inhabit the earth. Which the earth, it was created to be a footstool of the gods. But those, uh... So they can kick their feet up and... Yeah, just like, hey, chill out, let's relax. And the Metahune, similar to any kind of little people legends that you can imagine from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Maybe elvish, maybe a little... Some elves. Dwarvish, fairyish, perhaps. Okay. Now, they're making more things. Using red clay from the four corners of the earth and a little bit of their spittle. Gross. And after sculpting a head with a magical white clay, three gods breathed life into the first man who was modeled after Kane. Now, I've been mentioning like three gods. Mentioned a fourth one in there. There was four. Mm-hmm. Well, what about that fourth god, Kanaloa? Quote, 
Now, there is a parallel legend that says that Kane alone breathed life into the man statue. At the same time, Kanaloa tried to duplicate Kane's feet, but his statue failed His statue failed to come to life. So he challenged Kane, saying something to the effect of, quote, again, it's a quote of a quote where they're giving a quote to a god, hmm. that man will live only a certain span of time, then he will die. When he dies, I will claim him as my own. Another story states that Kanaloa would eventually lead the lesser gods in rebellion and further troubles after being defeated by the other gods would be cast into the underworld where Kanaloa would become its ruler. Okay. There's echoes of that across other cultures. Yeah, there's a lot of gods of the underworld. And rebelling and being mm-hmm. cast out. Mm-hmm. Now, Kanaloa is also considered an ocean god and is consistently associated with cephalopods. With cephalopods? Yes, his, I don't like that. his um usually his like item emblem is an octopus or a squid. Mm-hmm. Interesting, right? Yep. Not gonna dwell on that. Okay. Let's Maybe we can talk for, about that more for, bit. for posterity's sake. Yeah, moving right along. Now, but Kenaloa was not always considered ruler of the underworld. Um, oftentimes before contact with Europeans and Westerners, um, which that might bleed into why he became, why he might echo different other underworlds, because mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe a little mingling going on there. I read a lot about that. Well, enough. Um, so before uh, Kenaloa perhaps was given credit for con- controlling the underworld, um, before contact with Europeans, this culture considered Milu ruler of the underworld. Milu. Milu. M-I-L-U. Milu. Milu. Sure. Either way. Whichever way it is correctly pronounced, this is who I'm speaking of at this moment. Uh Now, Milu was a god. This is a little quote about him. Milu was the god of the dead and ruler of Luau Milu. He is now thought to share analogs with Hades. Under his command are a host of beings known as spirit catchers who would trap wandering ghosts and bring them to his afterlife domain. In one legend, a chief herald of the loss of his wife has his prayers answered and receives guidance from a deity who shows him the way into Milu's kingdom. They journey far out and find a tree split in two. Next, they slide down it into the earth's lower regions. That sounds kind of dirty. Gross. Slide down a split tree into the earth's lower regions. I mean, how do you feel about that? I felt fine until you started getting weird with it. You didn't like how I said it that way? (laughs) No. You didn't like that context shift? No. Yeah, well, so the tree was split open, Uh like real far apart, and there's like a a thing you can slide right into to get into the earth. Yeah, I understand this. Well, that that happened, and they do that, and they hear the deity hid behind a rock and cover the chief with odd-smelling oil and sent him out by himself. Gross. Once the chief found Milu's palace... He noticed a group of spirits who were so distracted in the game they were playing. Again, spirits like to play games. Okay. He was able to join, and luckily, it's like, hey, what's up, guys? Kicking the ball Can around. I play? Yeah, sure. Whoa, you're not a ghost? Weird. When they did realize he was near them, they mistook him for a stinking ghost. See, the camouflage. Stinky ghost. Yeah, ooh. What are your thoughts on stinky ghosts? I Got me? prefer them to not be stinky, I guess, because that's <laughs> just a couple different inconveniences. I suppose that's a fair uh, a want not to want your yeah. ghosts to be stinky. I prefer them not to be. When the crowd was finished, they wanted to play another game. Hence, the chief proposed they should all pull their eyes out. That doesn't sound like a fun <laughs> game. 
It's like, we're in. Are we? I guess. They pulled their eyes out and paid his attention to those belonging to Milu. He later caught them in a coconut cup and blinded the god. Okay. Now he was able to escape to Wakia's heaven, where the underworld's inhabitants could not set foot. Eventually, a deal was made, and Milu's eyes were returned on the condition that the chief's wife's soul be brought back. Sure, that's, that's fair. A, so that's a that's, bargain right there. That's the thing. Outsmarted yeah. Milu by, <laughs> you guys want to have some fun? Yeah. Let's pull our eyes out. Okay. And yeah. they're like, oh, then oh. got me lose eyes. I can't, eye. see, I can't see. Yep. Can I have my wife back? Oh. Well, yeah. oh, well you got me by the eyes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, I didn't quite discuss the actual culture that I am discussing. Some of those names may have sounded like maybe cultures you could recognize. Some people probably already know who are listening. Um, so what culture am I discussing? Yeah. We'll get there. Okay. So... We're still traveling around. Let's still travel through time. Boogie on down. Boogie on down. Around 1,500 years ago, the Polynesians arrive with only the stars to navigate them to the island chain of Hawaii. Okay. All right. Heard of it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to read you uh, some excerpts from... Um, we're going for a little ride here, so just kind of hunker down. Sure. We're going into it. Hunkered. We're not quite going into it like a tree split open as we slide into the earth. We're not quite doing that. Good. The more I say it, the more uncomfortable it makes me. Me too. <laughs> From our Hawaii Army Museum Society website, um, quote, they developed a social structure. Again, the Polynesians who settled on Hawaii. Um, they developed a social structure and religious and military systems. Temples were built, and the gods were consulted for auspicious times to fight. Elaborate preparations for war included sacrifices, prayers, and orations offered to the gods. Armed with weapons of wood, stone, shark's teeth, and bone, trained warriors deployed an open ground, on open ground in dense crescent formations at the attack signal. The armies rushed forward, throwing spears and sling stones to loosen the enemy's formation. Hand-to-hand combat ensued with daggers, clubs, fists, and brute strength. The army whose formation broke took flight, and the victor's pursuit was intense and deadly. I bet. Sounds intense. Enemy's yeah. wielding shark teeth against me. I'm going to be a little intimidated. Right. Like, well, because he had to get he had to get him from that shark. Yeah. Maybe. Probably not. But. <laughs> But yes, it'd be cooler if you had to wrestle them from a shark to make your weapon out of them. What if they just have? What if they just had sharks? Pet sharks? Yeah, street sharks. Street. Oh my god! All right, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't do a street sharks aside. But if because like you can rip sharks' teeth out, like they have a lot of rows of teeth. Yeah, they just keep, so popping they up. Just keep harvesting shark teeth. So they just kept one. I'm just thinking that'd be pretty and fucked just up. Pull his teeth out. Yeah, and they grow back. Like thanks. Now I got more knives. Yeah. Anyways. Ancient Hawaiian warriors. Uh-huh. That is a method in which they fought. Now, in 1778, Captain Cook founded a feudal society in Hawaii, similar to Europe during the Middle Ages. Powerful warrior chiefs called Alii controlled the islands through heredity and kapu, kapu, a rigorous system of socio-religious rules. Wars were fought for land, wealth, and power. The Alii required military service from the tenants of the land and trained them regularly in the arts of war. A lot of soldier talk here. Sounds like it. 
Captain Cook also introduced a new factor to the Hawaiian power struggle. What might a European bring to this shark tooth fight? Uh, disease. Well, that, of course. Uh, but Guns? Also guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, quite a combination. Which, yeah. Just, We're talking about the guns right now. Yeah. Um, Hawaiians quickly overcame their initial shock. What's this, a gun? And they're like, oh, oh, like, oh. oh that's cool. And they're like, oh, it's a gun. I want one of these. Yeah, thank you. And it integrated Western with traditional weapons. Atypical, so you know, guns and a shark tooth. Shark tooth bayonet. Oh, my Lord. A typical firearm adopted by the Hawaiians after 1778 was the British 69 caliber brown bass. Nice. Absolutely. Accurate range for this smooth bore muzzle loader was only about 50 yards until the blast fire, but the blast fire and smoke were terrifying. Yeah, I bet. You think? Mm -hmm. It's not great. Some more Hawaiian history. When Chief Kalaniop Pu'u. Yep, that's how that's said. A Hawaii uh, island died in 1782. A struggle for control began between his sons, Kiwalao oh. and Kihoao. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his nephew, Kamehameha. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yes, you have. <laughs> By 1791, Kamehameha defeated and gained enough strength over his rivals to begin a campaign against Kahakili. Chief of Maui, Oahu, Molokai, and Lanai. Kamehameha moved against Maui and Molokai and seized them in 1794 after King, after the king's death. Okay. Uh, in early 1795, Kamehameha invaded Oahu, landing hundreds of war canoes. Hundreds of would, war canoes. I would like to just own one war canoe. Man, if you make that dream come true. I could. I don't it's know like what's, what's in that? What's hanging up behind it's the shed there, Zach? Canoe? It's my war canoe. Yeah, take it's it down, this, the, down the river. Doesn't it just look like a canoe, though? What makes it a war canoe? It's like, oh, no. just wait. Yeah. Don't, oh, you, don't, you don't know what this canoe has seen. Mm-hmm. It's seen some, some stuff. Yeah, well. A lot of battle scars on this guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had him imported from the battle and the war. Don't, don't worry about the cooler. That's just <laughs> part of it. We all have different battles to wage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he landed his war canoes on the shorelines, and the Oahu forces were driven up Nuanu Valley to the Pali, where they scattered, some preferring to jump over the edge rather than be captured. This left only the island to the northwest, Kua'ani, to be conquered, and in 1810, the ruler of that island ceded to Kamehameha, and the islands were united into one kingdom. Enter the kingdom. Of Hawaii. Cool. All right. This is from Ancient Hawaiian Warriors. Uh, Ancient Hawaiian Warriors Paradise Lost, Territory One by Kanavik. So just kind of mulling over stuff, talking about some Hawaiian history, some gods, mm-hmm. some warrior customs, the way they fought. All right. For centuries before the arrival of Captain Cook, the Hawaiian Islands were divided into kingdoms, each ruled by a chief who sought to extend their control over the others. The results were society's strife with endemic warfare and a ruling class that saw warfare as a powerful and legitimate tool of diplomacy. Peace through war. If you want peace, prepare for war. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. What's that from? Uh, Children of Bodom song, as okay, far fine. as I know. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. 
It might be contributed to something else, but I don't know. No, I knew it was a song lyric, but I wasn't sure what. My mind instantly went to Man of War, and I was like, that doesn't feel right, but Mm -hmm. it would still apply. Yeah. For the chiefs of ancient Hawaii, success on the battlefields meant more than just success as a chief. It meant whether they would live or perish. As each chief formed his or her territory into their best possible military machine, they also structured their society and the culture of the Hawaiians. What evolved through isolation in the vast Pacific and endless warfare was unique, amazing, and terrible. Now, these kind of societies formed again into a feudal type of society, and they had caste systems, which were, like any caste system, were not very pleasant. Oh no! No, they, yeah. When you're just told this is where you, this is your lot in life, and that's the end of it. Yep. Not too great. The demands of war made it especially harsh. Nobility, priestly, peasants, and slaves. Again, it's a feudal society. Uh-huh. They feud things and each other. Uh huh. And the rules of the land were called the kapus, and to break a kapu was usually punishable by death. And then reading from the article, these were people who practiced human sacrifice, after all. Sure they did. Of absolutely. course they did. Oh, Absolutely. Why not? Another view taken in modern times has been a more idealized caricature like respect for the ancient Hawaiian warriors. But respect they have. Again, right. society, war, different tribes, mm-hmm. battling, kingdoms united. Again, about these warriors. They have been celebrated for their ferocity and venerated for their discipline, knowledge, and cunning. The image of a brave, noble warrior of peace is just as wrong as the grass skirt-wearing spear waver, although quite a bit less insulting. It's going against some caricatures that people may assume. Oh, yeah. The truth is more complex and more interesting than the popular images present as well. And they had varying degrees of professionalism. And again, a warrior could be well-trained, armed, and armored. Noble, a professional warrior who cherished battle, or a peasant pressed into combat to fight in the mass formations of pike men or skirmishers. Mm-hmm. I like that classifier. The skirmisher? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about some of these different types of Hawaiian soldiers and different types of classifications for them. So we're going to get into the skirmish. Right, we're going to get into some skirmishers. Yeah, I got three little, three, I guess, I don't know, calling them branches is probably wrong, but you know, the warriors of ancient Hawaii, there's a Koa, uh, Koa warriors, elite Hawaiian forces. Special forces. Special forces, yeah. Right. The Koa warriors were disciplined war machines. They used a martial art, lua, which they only practiced at night to prevent prying eyes from learning. Oh, it was kapu. Yeah or forbidden, to teach someone who wasn't in their caste or foreign. In battle, they wore feathered cloaks and gourd helmets for protection against lethal missiles. Now, if you ever want to look at these guys like gourds, correct. Like a pumpkin type thing? Yeah, probably one that's a little harder. Yeah, well, probably. But yes. Okay. But 100%. I mean, I just enjoyed the image of uh, the pumpkin helmet. You said the feathered? Yeah, feathered, feathered cloaks. Cloaks? Yeah. So imagine like... Sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. Their arsenal of weapons was varied, amazing, and devastating. All good descriptors. Yep. They employed shark-toothed slashing weapons, shark-toothed throwing axes, trip-cord weapons, stone maces, double-sided daggers. Now, you know what this is called, but in the article it's called a strangle cord. 
A garage. It's coming up in how many episodes? <laughs> a it's lot. Like three lately. or four weeks talking about garage. Yeah. Strange. Huh. Fork-tipped weapons and spears. All right. So those are the special forces. Sounds like a video game character with all of their weapons just it's, loaded on them. It sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. The massed infantry is up next. Much like the uh, Macedonians of Alexander the Great's time, the ancient Hawaiians massed pikemen by the thousands. These large, tightly packed formations presented an enemy with thousands of pikes. Pikes are essentially long, two-handed spears, and they were used in warfare until the American Civil War. These formations made up the main force of the Hawaiian army and were used to smash against enemy forces. If these warriors broke formation, a massacre would soon follow. But united, they were the greatest force present on the battlefield. Like a phalanx. Mm-hmm. Wall of spikes. Yeah. Then we move on to the skirmishers. In addition to the above components, each army consisted of skirmishers whose job it was to harass and weaken enemy formations. Mm-hmm. They employed javelins and slings to devastating effect. Ancient Hawaiian battles have been compared to rainstorms due to the sheer quantity of missiles flying. That's terrifying. So think about all those guys against each those other. those slings can move, mm-hmm. even though it's just a rock. When it's getting whipped at yeah. crazy speeds, it's going to hurt. It's gonna have a, you're going to have a bad day. It's not going to be good. You better have a good whole gourd in your head. Yeah. Your gourd better be covered by a good gourd. <laughs> you better be covered by a good gourd. Yeah. going to work that into everyday conversation. Yeah. Protect well, your wa- gourd. Watch out, man. Protect your gourd. With a gourd. With a gourd. <laughs> Interesting. Is that why it's called a gourd? Probably. Probably, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Because yeah, the gourd. Definitely. The gourd helmet, yeah, based on facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gourd helmet of the warriors. Yeah, man. Got your gourd. It's going to be a tough one today. Yeah. Better be packing a gourd. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to get scary, dude. Whip out your gourd. Nah, I don't say it that way. Yeah, no. Don't like now it. I don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> We're in fear, baby. <laughs> get scared. It's getting weird. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. All right. Now, from something in the water, the past and present of Hawaii's warrior spirit by Eric Stinton. Now, again, about the early Polynesians who settled Hawaii. They were talented sailors and fishermen, and they lived in such physical freedom and abundance that the concept of war was absent from their culture. I mean, they worshiped, their gods were agriculture, not war gods. Mm-hmm. They lived peaceful, communal lives, independent from each other. You know, they all doing their own thing, living off the land. And that got boring. Existing, and then it got boring. And they were like, you know what? This guy pissed me off. Let's go fuck up everyone well, in that town. It's time. Ah, maybe I just want, I want to sit on that plot of land. Well, this article cites that, or states that this, of course, was before, I say of course as if we both knew this until I'm telling you. Obviously. This did. was before Pa'au, a high priest from Tahiti. Pa'au came to Hawaii around the mid-1200s. Now, what did he do? He looked at these gods, and they're like, agriculture gods, boring. So this, this is a god that's coming here? No, Pa'au is a man. Oh, okay. But he brought to the island the war god. Odin? Uh, Okay, bear with me. It's not Odin, though. No, it's easier to call him Ku, the snatcher of land, which sums up war pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, Kuka Ilimoku. Not too hard to say. Kuka Ilimoku. But they call him Ku for short, so that's what I'm going to do. Ku, the snatcher of land. 
and instituted a much more rigid social order. So the war god wants some order. He's like, nah, we got you living free lives, enjoying yourselves. Now, nah, man, we got to go to war. Time to fight. Mm-hmm. Now, this, of course, would change things in quite a drastic fashion, as you can imagine. Sacred places of worship became off-limits to commoners when they were once open for everyone, and human sacrifice was ritualized to appease the new war god. And then uh, there was hostility toward the Tahitian priests, and they were viewed as foreigners by the communities that were already established. Conflicts broke out as different groups fought for political power. When the dust settled, the society that emerged held wartime talents in esteemed regard. Because, yeah, everybody's going to war. Iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. Or shark tooth sharpens shark tooth. Yep. And whoever comes out of this is going to be... Sh- shark toothier. Shark th- the shark toothiest. Mm-hmm. Now, warriors, of course, they can change ranks, escalate, elevate in the military. Mm-hmm. So they became guards, the royal courts, and they taught the chiefs how to fight. And then they became instructors of warfare. Um, the royal families became stronger. They consolidated you know, all their political might. Again, tribes, kingdoms. War culture was being established. The training would get more refined. Again, it involves all the weapons we talked about, as well as various hand-to-hand techniques, striking, wrestling, joint manipulation. It was, of course, their version of mixed martial arts. Yeah, They'd have exhibition matches. They'd battle each other to prove their might. Again, the martial art was called Lua. 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 All right, so now we're going to jump to 1820. We got a little timeline Traveling through time. It's a quick one. Um, I got in a little timeline of different historical moments in Hawaii, so I figured going up the line here. Sure. First missionaries arrive in Hawaii. That sounds fine, right? Of course it does. No, it doesn't. 1835, <laughs> the first sugar plantation opens on Kauai. That's probably fine, too. That sounds right? okay, too, right? The, high, the Hawaiian islands garner recognition for their prime agricultural land. All seems cool, right? Yeah, it's fine. Agriculture becomes a dominant economic force. That's probably not going to cause any problems at some point here. Yeah, more foreign capital begins to travel to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Immigration increases. Uh, between the 1830s and 1848, the great Mahili Kamehameha III sought to keep the land in Hawaiian hands by adopting a Western Elodio system with a new system that would divide the lands into thirds, one-third to the Hawaiian crown lands, one-third to the chiefs, and one-third to the people. But in the end, ideally it was a good idea, right? Sounds fine. Gave the Hawaiian people two, pers- uh, two years to kind of sign up and claim their land, but only... Um, 1% of the people received any land because the concept of owning land was like a foreign concept to them and they didn't understand like, why they this had... This is mine? They're like, why do I have to do that? It's just right over here. Yeah, I'm already sitting here. Why yeah, should I sign up for it? So again, a lot of foreign capital is coming in, so guess who got a lot of that land? Yeah, I see where this is going. 1845. Well, the Hawaiian kingdom gains a capital in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. 1850s, with Hawaii's plantation production on the rise, a need for more labor is realized. The first workers are recruited from China. Workers also make their way to the islands from Japan, Korea, the Philippines, and Portugal. Now, somebody's cousin, uh, Kamehameha, uh, wow, Kamehameha's cousin eventually um, becomes, you know, because bloodline, succession, kingdom, you know, he falls in line. William Charles 
Luna Lilo was king. He's got stuff going on, but we're moving right along. He had no heirs. He passes away. You just met him. He's already gone. I apologize, but he did do some stuff. He was here, and then he was gone. And he did more than that, but we're moving along. Kamehameha Dynasty comes to an end because he was the last in that bloodline. Now, when this happened in the kingdom, they actually had a democratic process set up. So okay. they held an election to nominate their new, to elect their new king. Mm-hmm. David Kalakua is elected as his successor. Now, in 1887, all right, so capital's coming in, plantations are taking root, land is fertile. There's a unified kingdom of Hawaii, but now foreign influences are coming, and they are making some money. They yeah. begin to amass wealth, mm-hmm. which means perhaps power is tipping in the favor of not the king. That sounds like a problem if you're Who, king. It's true. And the king, there is some sort of, you know, like a kingdom, there's like some kind of parliament. There's two branches. There's two houses. There was a representative branch of, you know, and then like a house of lords, like England. You know, okay. The king picks these guys basically. So like these are like the Senate, you know, the elite. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then there's the House of Representatives. So it's a type, you know, parliamentary type ask system. So that's what exists in Hawaii at this time. I'm going to introduce you to the year 1886. A militia group made up of white settlers labeling themselves the Honolulu Rifles. Take a drink there. Sounds fine, right? Sure. They were the um, unofficial military arm of the Hawaiian League. Who's the Hawaiian League? A group of naturalized um, foreign Americans, foreign Europeans that were, you know, citizens of the kingdom. They, you know, like, you know, came from there, lived there. It's their home. But like they, Hawaii they immigrated is there. Well, yeah, they, they immig- well, they came from Europe and America, but they're living in Hawaii. So, like, okay. you, they got some stake in the kingdom. Okay. I this they could very well be citizens. There's also um you know, some other some Hawaiians are part of part but it's mainly like European influence. Okay. They formed their own secret society. It was also called um the Safety Council, which feels like the Patriot Act to me. Safety dance. Mm-hmm, the safety yeah, the safety dance, yeah. So they had their own little militia group. Weird. A secret cabal of guys who were gonna do something with an unofficial Military group. Weird. Anyways, we're moving right along. Okay. It's a weird thing. Um, so what like they that's chose... That's not going to bite us at, what they t- at any point here. No. You mean people who have all the wealth and power have a secret military arm, and they use this to force King Kalakua to give up certain powers and is extorted into signing a new constitution? Well, that doesn't sound good. It gave Europeans and Americans the right to vote when it connected suffrage to property ownership. So they own the land. Again, property, voting. Okay. The Constitution transferred more power to the legislature and away from the king. More of his monarchical duties become delegated to the representatives. Okay. Which, again, I'm not for kings. But I think these guys are just choosing one ruler for another because um, this the, the creation of this constitution was called the bayonet constitution. They just really like weapons because, um, you know, they held the King at gunpoint basically to sign the new constitution. Oh, cause if he did not agree, he would have been murdered with what? Probably a bayonet, a bayonet, <laughs> <laughs> probably a bayonet. His sir, his sister definitely thought so. 
Eventually, he would pass away. From what? A bayonet? Just, <laughs> he, no, no, he, I, no, he, he, uh, he did not. Okay. Was it? You sound was it, was unsure. It, was it TB? I was trying to think of what. Um, I mean, that gets a lot I, of I had people. been doing a lot of cramming of Hawaiian history. Okay. So I'm trying to keep some of these details straight. Uh, but in 1891, the sister I mentioned, she became queen. Queen Lelukalani. Okay. Lelukalani. All right, so that's 1891. Let's jump ahead two years. So, you know, the Hawaiian League, the Honolulu Rifles. I mean, everything about that name sounds wrong. I don't like it. Okay. Honolulu Rifles. Bunch of white guys named after Honolulu. Overthrowing governments. Well, trying to. Sorry. Was that a spoiler? In 1893. All right. So a bunch of wealthy, because these guys didn't go away. They've just gotten the right to vote now. Mm Mm-hmm. And have amassed more power. Plantations doing great, making lots of dollars. All right. So a bunch of wealthy and influential Americans and Europeans who were citizens of the kingdom, but again were wealthy Americans and Europeans, or citizen might be the wrong term, but they live there, they can vote. I'd say that gives you some power. I'd say that could make you a citizen. I would You'd say You'd think so, so no right? Else. Yeah. No one else you'd call that. Yeah. yeah. Decided it would be better for business if the kingdom stopped being a kingdom and was to be annexed. By the United States of America. Mm-hmm. They barricaded the queen in her palace and forced her to give up her power. She agreed because she wanted to spare her subject a bloodbath that would surely follow. That was a very condensed paragraph talking about the quick and dirty, um, a quick and dirty version of how wealthy elites overthrew a government for their own means. And they... Grover Cleveland yelled at them, basically, because they, like, they took down the Hawaiian flag, raised the American flag above like the palace. Mm-hmm. But like America was like, what? No. We didn't do any of this yeah. yet. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, thanks, but we don't know if we want it. Yeah, why do you, <laughs> there's a whole people there. Yeah. I, why do you, well, the queen would issue this statement as she gave up her sovereignty in protest. It's, like, it's called like a bloodless revolution or a bloodless insurrection. There's no one really... Some people, like the police erupt some people up and somebody had been shot. But like for the most part, it was just like to avoid a war, she just gave up the power. Okay. I, Lukalani, by grace of God and under the constitution of the Hawaiian kingdom, queen, do hereby soundly protest against any and all acts done against myself and the constitutional government of the Hawaiian kingdom by certain persons claiming to have established a provisional government of and for this kingdom. Cause the United States did not annex this place. They overthrew the queen. And then the safety council just decided now we're the provisional government and this is us now. It's real cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Real great. Real nice. Because there's no reason Hawaii couldn't have been like, I mean, England is still a monarchy. Yeah. But like, you know, it fades off it's ceremonial. It wasn't usurped by a foreign nation and just taken over that you know of oh jeez I'm not talking about the lizard people yeah I think they I think they have a voice in all governments maybe good question probably that I yield to the superior force of the United States of America whose minister his excellency John L. Stevens has caused United States troops, he was part of the Safety Council, to be landed at Honolulu and declared that he would support the provisional government. 
Now, to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps a loss of life, I do this under protest and impelled by said force yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall, upon facts being presented to it, undo the action of his, its representatives and reinstate me in the authority which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands. Uh-huh. The Hawaiian kingdom came to an end. And in 1898, it was annexed by the United States. And then in 1900, the Organic Act established the territory of Hawaii. And then in 1997, that's hilarious because that would be a long life. 1917, Queen Lukalani passed away. And she was the last, you know, monarch, monarch of the kingdom of Hawaii. Uh-huh. And I mean, some other things happened to Hawaii. I think something happened in 1941. I don't know what, I forget what that is. I think something happened in December, I think. I don't know. Was it a, did it, I don't know, does it live in infamy? Yeah. Okay, There's well, some planes and some boats. Yeah, well, they, uh, so something happened that was bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was bombed, maybe. Yeah. By the Japanese. And then jump ahead four years and Japan, signs its unconditional surrender, and Pearl Harbor becomes a museum and a memorial complex. Yep. And then in 1959, August 21st, after a popular vote, Hawaii becomes the 50th state of the United States of America. Now, a few other things happened in Hawaii after that. Many things have happened in Hawaii. Uh, I'm sure there is a lot. Uh, and in 1990, one of the world's most active volcanoes erupted, sent a lava through the town of Klapana and destroyed the town. But it also created a new coastline that extends a thousand feet farther into the Pacific Ocean. Well, that's nice. So you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my reaction. Well, the oh town burned God. down, but hey, we got a new beach. The way they phrased it. It's just like, <laughs> well, you know, this town is fucked, but hey, look at this. So, all right, neat. Okay. We got a thousand feet more. Yeah. Yeah, well, great. It's got so much more room for activities. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, isn't that cool? That we have this whole open field now. Where all the town used to be, and more beach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 2009, uh, place was a shithole anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, well, thank you, volcano. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then a guy who was born there became president. His name was Barack Obama. In 2009, he became president. Did he? Yeah, he was voted, and he was born in Hawaii. Huh. Honolulu. Never heard of him. Yeah, I know. But again, this is weird and feared. Yeah, it's I think little, so. It's a condensed history of Hawaii. And I spent some time talking about some stuff. You did. Some wars, some battles. Some shark teeth. Some shark teeth. Street sharks. Street sharks. <laughs> I just, just imagining an army of street sharks with, with their, gripping out their own teeth to use as weapons. It's very scary. It is. They could bite you, but they don't want to get your blood in their mouth, so they strip out their own teeth. Yeah, because your blood's it, gross. Attach it to a pike. <laughs> they yeah. don't want it in their mouth. And they want to stab you. Right. So again, we all know man is the real monster. Mm-hmm. It's established. But we usually get into things a little different than that. So what are we up to? Uh, Where is this journey taking us? Into a volcano. Into a volcano. Welcome to the center of the earth. Yeah. The volcano was split apart and we slight... Sorry, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Just remember. Again. <laughs> Damn it. It's gross. It's gross. It's gross. The sun has gone down. Okay. You begin to hear the drums. And you're like, are those... Somebody playing. Are those like 
Is those sounds coming from like a conch shell? Huh. Those war drums? Weird. Just, just fun drums. I mean, this is a pretty, uh, you know, got a good beat to them. Yeah. Steady is that a beat. war horn or just a, a horn? Yeah. And I mean, you're kind of confused. You know, you're a little clueless in the situation. Yeah. Because you're not, you, let's say you're visiting. I was just getting out my normal canoe. Should I be getting out the war canoe? <laughs> Do I need it or not? Yeah. Am I packing that cooler full of war beers? War beers. Hmm, interesting. But the person staying next to you knows to divert his eyes. Okay. They know something that will become obvious to you in moments. Mm, that's probably not good. And then you should have heeded his advice because you don't look away. You see them. The night marchers are here. Okay. Now, from Wikipedia via Lopaka Kapanui, I hope I pronounced his last name right. I probably did not. From uh, his 2005 book, Haunted Hawaiian Nights by Mutual Publishing. In Hawaiian mythology, night marchers or spirit ranks, are the deadly ghosts of ancient Hawaiian warriors. The night marchers are the vanguard for a sacred king, chief, or chiefess. Okay. On the nights honoring the Hawaiian gods, Kane, Ku, Lono, or the knights of Kanaloa, they are said to come forth from their burial sites or to rise up from the ocean, and to march in a large group to ancient Hawaiian battle sites or other sacred places. The legend says the night marchers are normal-sized warriors dressed for battle. What are they carrying? Spears, clubs. Shark teeth? Probably shark teeth. And some are beating war drums and blowing tones from conch cells. You should have got the war canoe out. You should have, man. You should have prepared. To announce the advancing of their march. According to the myth, they are suspended in air. Their feet do not touch water or ground as they traverse through the night, and they leave no evidence of their visitations. Kind of ramping up here. What do you think of these night marchers? They sound cool. They sound uh, scary, though. Are they coming for me? It's true. Why did I keep mentioning you shouldn't look at them? Uh, I wonder what that does. I don't know, because I can't turn away, and they seem like they're coming straight for me now. Yeah. So do you think you should keep looking at them? I mean, I have to assert my dominance at this point, so yeah. All right, good luck. Let's see how this plays. <laughs> We're going to see how this plays out for you. I'm sure it'll be fine. Okay. They march in darkness after sunset and march as a group continuously until just before sunrise. Now, anyone living along their path may hear chanting, sounds of blown, well, blown, come on, man, sounds of blown conch shells and marching noises in the night. The following signs... They may smell musky. Stinky? Are they stinky ghosts? Huh? They're stinky like death. Oh. Yeah, that kind of stink. stinky ghosts. Real stinky ghosts. Yeah. Was that ghost stinky or like really stinky? It was real it stinky. Was really stinky. And they have torches, which of course, as they proceed toward you, become brighter and larger because that's how perspective works. Yep. <laughs> yes, it is. But sometimes they appear during the day if they are to escort a dying relative to the spirit world. Now, I'm glad you've decided to lock into visual combat and you're not breaking 
no, your gay is with these guys. Point. That's good. I'm sure it'll be fine for you. Yeah. Because any mortal looking upon or being seen in defiance toward the marchers will die violently. Well, they got to get me first. Well, maybe. Do you want to know how they get you? Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, we'll get there. Because uh, barriers, they put them in their path. Do you think it's going to stop them? No, of course it's not. Do they float through it? They just keep going. They're spectral? Yeah, they keep going, man. They're night marchers. They're ghosts. Okay. I mean, some people attest that if you like um, become motionless and like drop on the ground, like you're doing a push-up, but like not doing a push-up and just stare at the ground. To, like, so, the, so just the, lay down. The exact opposite <laughs> of what you're doing, correct. Okay. Yeah. But I just picture somebody like kind of like not relaxed about it with their face in like the dirt. Mm-hmm. You know? So again, the exact opposite of what you've chosen to do in this situation. Um, because that is how you show perhaps the proper respect, fear, and deference. But you want to show dominance against the night marchers, an army of ghosts, <laughs> yeah. warriors yeah. equipped with shark teeth. Yeah. And all sorts of cool stuff. So, again, you can avoid harm, which is not what we're up to right now. Um, if you have, happen to have an ancient ancestor marching amongst them, chances really, are you don't have that. Really hoping I got that in my back pocket. So you right really now. hope. Ah, it's my great, great, great. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Because they'll recognize you because they'll recognize the blood. Mm-hmm. And then what they do when they say that is say, now. Hopefully it's pronounced as close to the, it's N-A apostrophe U, not U. Sure. Which means mine in Hawaiian. And that means the other warriors are like, okay, that's your guy. Yeah. And he's like, he's, he's, with, he's with me. Yeah. He's okay. cool. Leave him alone. He's cool. Fuck is anybody him, fuck doing him. that for me? He's cool. I'm looking around, like, yeah. getting a little nervous here. And all you're doing is just making more eye contact with more of them. You're like, <laughs> well, okay, it's getting, it's getting worse. They're still coming. I guess I'm not related to any of these guys. Who would have guessed? Yeah, if you plant a... a tie shrubs around your house that's said to keep away evil spirits which will also work against them also houses if you have a house where like the entrance is exactly in line with the exit they like that because it's just like a straight line if they're walking through your house like exit to yeah. i mean they're gonna walk through anything anyways but they seem to like it so, yeah, it's this a con- is convenient path like maybe, oh neat. maybe it's uncomfortable for them to walk through things right yeah they don't like it but they'll still do it yeah. Yeah. So again, the uh, every one of these marches can be different according to the chief or chiefess or um, king that they are walking with. So if one guy liked, he liked a party, he liked a good rager. They're gonna be a raucous, noisy bunch. There'll be music playing. It'll be like a real fun time. Okay. But if the king is solemn, if he's calm, if he was like a quiet, reserved guy, it's just silence because huh. they're keeping the peace. Because that's what the king likes. So, again, there could be variations of that, but it's very personalized. Okay. And also, if the king was like, you know what? I never really was much of a walker. Not a fan, like, using my legs. Like a palan- palanquin? Yeah. That, can, you, can you put me on a thing and carry me around? Yeah. And that's what they'll do? Mm-hmm. They'll use one of those? So, yeah. You're still staring at these guys. Which yeah. is the important part here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're locked in. Nobody I, seems to think I'm related to them, so. No, they're just looking right through you, yeah. but looking at you. I mean, that was a shot in the dark. Yeah, you're like, you're like, Grandpa! <laughs> Nobody turns their head. Like, no, Grandpa! Nah, yeah. ain't working out. It's not quite cutting it. Because um, some parts are sacred of the king or chief. So, like, if you're caught even looking at, like, you know, his, let's say, let's say his, he's got a real holy wrist 
And you, you, okay. you're looking at it, yeah, or like a leg, or like his arm, or like his face. Yeah, he's got some nice calves. You're looking at his his very regal calves. Yeah. Um. He did not skip leg day. He did not skip leg day. In fact, he was all leg day. He's all legs. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why am I? I'm like, oh, I know what part of the body I'm not supposed to look at. That's making me real uncomfortable because those are some nice calves. They are nice calves. I like them. Mm-hmm. Well, you get caught looking at those. So yeah, the punishment for looking at these parts is always instant death. Oh. But how? Like, what causes the death? Do you just, like, keel over and die, like, painless, you're done? Or are you hit by bolts of intense light and flaming heat originating from several of the warrior's eyes aimed straight toward you? Oh, damn. You got x-ray laser-eyed. Yeah. That's not what I expected. By many people. Yeah. And the writing goes on to say that... I thought they were um, going to pull my eyes out or something. Oh, yeah. No eye pulling. Just their eyes changed. They, they all became Cyclops, and they just lasered you. That's cool. <laughs> and then instantly your body uh, is incinerated, and nothing is left but vapors. Yeah. You, you're evaporated. There's worse ways <laughs> to go. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. If it's pretty instant, I mean... Just enough to see the lasers coming at you, feel the heat, and be like, well, that's how that goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> huh. I don't think that's uncle after all. Yeah, just I should have been to more of these family reunions. He just didn't recognize me. Yeah. Now, if the uh, sacred place of the king or chief's body was his face, the marchers would walk in front of him because the light would obscure his face, so it would give you know some. You wouldn't be able to get quite a good look. And in Hawaiian mythology, five is important. Because in the night marchers of the Hawaiian gods present, there are six gods. Oh, that just tells me the number of five is... Oh, okay. Largest torches are carried. One at the front, one in the back, and three within the group. So that's why the five is important. Okay. And then in the night marchers with Hawaiian gods present, there are six gods, three male, three female. And they're often with the uh, night marchers. But the compositions are usually pretty mixed. So it's a variety of different gods can be there. Spirits, mm-hmm. the warriors, the ghosts, the chiefs. So do you think anybody in modern times has interacted with the Night Marchers? Um, I'm going to guess, yeah. All right. Because that's one nice thing the internet has brought us is... Accounts? Yeah, people talking about their stuff. All right, well, we're going to start off by going to the very trustworthy subreddit of No Sleep. Posted by Crushed Red Party Cups Mm -hmm. four years ago. If you're ever in Hawaii, I wouldn't recommend venturing out in the forest at night. So I experienced a pretty frightening event when I visited my friend in Hawaii last March. I've always wanted to share this story here, but I just never got back around to doing it. Anyways, here's a little background. I met my friend, let's call him Melko. Well, I was in the Marines. He's native Hawaiian, and I am from Southern California. We were both stationed in the Mojave Desert for about three and a half years. We became pretty close. We ate, worked, shit, slept, drank immensely together. It's a good bond. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I got to know him pretty well. So believe me when I say this guy was super spiritual. He believed in all these crazy Hawaiian legends. That's not nice to say, but his legends. He was really respectable of the land, hated how outsiders were causing the Hawaiian gods to be angry, thus erupting all the volcanoes. 
One time he was pissed drunk and I was helping him back into bed when I reached to grab him. He started to fight me and started screaming, please don't curse my family. Me and my other buddies always found it kind of funny and kind of gave him shit for that. All in good fun. That's a good thing to joke about with your friend. Is he, he, you you got to curse your family, man? Yeah. Anyways, you get the point. Do mm-hmm. I? Sure I do. We both got out of the military in last year, and we've always talked about me going over to Hilo, where he's from, to visit once we're out. He wanted to take me hunting, cliff jumping, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. This guy was crazy. So last March, I flew out to visit my dear friend. Just a couple of days of being there. Nothing strange happened. I loved it there. It was nice seeing Melko getting drunk, going swimming, seeing sea turtles and all that happy horse shit. On the third night there, he decided to go boar hunting. So we got his Jeep loaded up with the essentials and started out into the rainforest. We went down this dirt trail for a couple of miles, got out and began hiking. He used to boar hunt all the time with his uncle, so I felt comfortable even though we were only equipped with makeshift spear, a couple of machetes, and some tomahawks. Didn't really think we were going to catch anything. Just thought it was fun being out in the middle of the forest at night. It was pretty spooky, though. Couldn't help but to think of Jurassic Park. What if I just start talking about dinosaurs now? That'd be crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was filmed there. Maybe they still got some of the dinosaurs running around. Oh, that's true. They might not have rounded them all up and took them back to the zoos where they came from. Maybe. We were hiking, probably out a mile out, not on any trail, just making our way through the dense forest. The next part, I swear, fucking was real. Craziest shit in my life. Out in the distance, we heard yelling, singing, kind of like a howling, but it wasn't from animals. It sounded like human. Melko froze. He was like, shit. Shit, dude. I just looked at him. What the fuck is that, dude? Sounds like people singing. I wasn't really scared till I saw my friend look absolutely petrified. I thought maybe it was just some campers. But the yelling got louder, and it seemed like it was pretty fucking close. My friend dropped everything and threw himself on the ground. Dude, get down! He hushed at me. I was pretty scared at this point, so I did just that. I asked him what was wrong, but he didn't answer. The yelling started to get clearer. It sounded like a few dozen people. Then we started to hear drums. No shit. They were beating drums. They were loud. And we're in rhythm. Holy shit, dude. Those are ancient warriors, man. Trust me. Take off your clothes. <laughs> okay. Melko then proceeded to take off all his clothes. No shit. He was butt-ass naked laying face down. He kept insisting I take my clothes off, but I was really confused and thinking this was a prank. Why would you think that? <laughs> dude, get down. Take off all your clothes. <laughs> but the drums got louder and louder. We were both quiet. And every time I tried asking him what warrior he was talking about, he would shush me. Whatever was beating those drums and making those chants were right behind us in the trees. I don't know how they moved so fast and silently when me and Melko had to fight our way through the jungle. The chants and beating suddenly stopped, and I swear there were people right behind us watching us. Then I got the biggest chills ever all throughout my body. From my toes to my ears, we just stayed there. On the ground, silent for a few minutes, we heard the drums beating again, only this time in front of us, and pretty far away. They grew faint. Dude, let's go! My friend said as he got up with all of his stuff in his arms as he started running. Yeah, still butt-ass naked. He put his shorts and shoes on after a bit of running. We sprinted all the way back to the Jeep and booked it out of there. It wasn't until we got back to his house that he started talking. 
He told me that those chants were ancient warrior spirits and the purpose of laying down well nude was so they can scan our bodies so we can show them we meant no harm. I guess to show you have no weapons. Makes mm-hmm. sense. It checks out. Now I'm a huge skeptic about shit like that. I mean, makes sense. Yeah. It's believable to question your friend when he tells you to jump down and get naked so the ancient ghost warriors don't attack you. Yeah, I, I think that's fine to question I think that. it's okay? Yeah, I think it checks out. I was raised Catholic, and I used to be super religious in high school, but I grew away from religion in general ever since then. But fuck, what I heard that night, what I felt was very much real. There was no way it could have been some teenagers playing a prank. They moved too swift through the forest and covered so much distance. Ever since my visit, I haven't experienced anything like that. Anyways, if you're in Hawaii and hear random-ass drums in the middle of the night, get naked and stay the fuck down. It's good advice right there. It's not bad. It's not bad advice. Mm-hmm. Another one. Hmm. This is from... Serialine, Serialine Pure one year ago. They're from Hawaii on the Big Island. Hmm. Still on no sleep? Um, this was sent to me, so I'm not entirely sure, but I believe it's probably from the Reddit. Gotcha. Hmm. Not sure if helpful, as I'm not native, but I used to live in Kiahu across from the Sheraton. Some nights of the week, I could see the lights from the backside of the hotel and hear the drums and music from the luau. Now, the complex is also next to the Kwamu burial grounds, and sometimes I would hear drums, but they sounded different. And I would look out toward the Sheraton and see that the luau section was not lit. Didn't make sense to me that anyone from the luau would be practicing well after the sun went down at 9 or 11 at night. Plus, the beat of the drums was different. Night marchers, honestly, is the only thing that makes sense to me. It wasn't just me hearing things either. We also used to have a locum doctor... I would stay at the Sheraton. He shared with us a recording that he got in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m. during his stay there. Sound of drums. Wasn't his first time hearing it either. That was just the time that he finally got a recording of it. I know somebody went on to... Oh, and this is still from that same post. No marching, no conch shell, no chanting as far as I recall, just drums. Always well after the sun had gone down. I lived in that complex for about two years. I wish I could say there was a pattern or that I noticed it more on certain days of the week or on certain seasons, but I never paid much attention to that. But the sound of the drums definitely happened on more than one occasion. And we're going to jump back. To another no sleep endeavor. It's a comment on the last post that I had read from No Sleep by Strawberry Pop Tart from four years ago. My mom lives in Kalapapa. Kalaupapa. I went to visit a few years back. It was the most spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. My first day there, my mom was taking me through the graveyards that were actually marked, and all of a sudden I felt freezing. It was the middle of the day. No reason for me to feel cold. Then I felt a wave of sorrow so strong just sweep through my whole body. I felt the weight of all the death and loss on my shoulders and I dropped and just sobbed. It was the strangest thing that ever happened to me. I get emotional typing this now. I could feel the magnitude of loss and it still affects me to this day. 
Same thing happened to my mom her first visit there, and others have reported the same. I interpret that as the spirit's way of telling people just how sacred the land is. Another weird experience I had was in the woods. There was part of the woods off a dirt road that has a rock wall built around it. Many speculate that this is to mark a mass grave. There's a wild speculation to throw out there. Mm-hmm. I got nothing to go into on that in here, but that's the thing somebody said. Mm-hmm. My mom told me we must pray and ask permission to enter. I'm like, okay, mom, I guess that's what I'm doing. That's me talking, not the person. Like, all right, mom, sure, I guess I'm praying to enter this graveyard. Because, like, what if I don't do that? I'm not testing that game. I had a bad feeling, but I didn't say anything because I wanted to go in. That was a bad idea. I started to walk away from my mom to go look at a tree. Before I knew it, I couldn't see or hear her. Then I felt taps on my shoulder. A spirit was leading me into the woods. I thought this was about night marchers. This is a whole separate story that I'm going to finish to its conclusion. Uh. Luckily, I found my way out by retracing my steps. Okay. I grew up going to Hawaii every summer, and I have always felt a spiritual connection to the islands. Never underestimate the power of them. I remember being very young and visiting Wanaloa and asking if I could bring a rock home. My mom told me no because Pele would be very angry with me. Anyways, that was not about Night Marchers, but that is a crazy spooky story to have just as a comment right. on that article. This is another one from No Sleep. This is Haku Nomaya, the Night Marchers of Hawaii. It's funny how easily a place can leave its mark on you. I'm Japanese, not Hawaiian, and I didn't grow up in Hawaii. My family has only lived in the islands for about five generations. Yet somehow the culture has somehow worked its way into my own life. Both of them were born on Oahu. My family used to fly there almost every year to revisit my parents' old stomping grounds and to catch up with my five million cousins. Even my mother admits she can't always keep straight. What if he actually had five million cousins and wasn't exaggerating? Maybe he is. Maybe. Maybe I shouldn't assume that that is a joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's on me. My father would eat his favorite Chinese noodles, and my brother and I would beg for shaved ice. And, of course, we'd visit my grandfather's grave. Never got to know my grandfather. He was an Air Force staff sergeant during the Korean War. He died a decade before I was born and was buried in Punchbowl Cemetery. The cemetery is located in a volcanic crater. It's a cool place to have a cemetery. It's an interesting spot for sure. Right. Looming high above Honolulu, we'd take the long, winding road to the top and leave flowers at the plaque bearing his name. My father would tell my grandfather everything that happened to the family within the past year and have my brother and I say hello. I can't deny it. I miss Hawaii. I wanted to hear the wind blowing through the ironwood trees. I wanted to eat malasados from Leonard's Bakery and mountain apples from a roadside vendor. I wanted to wake up early enough to see the watch the morning, to see the watch the morning light shine on the Kualao Mountains. Not pronounced that way, I am sure. It's almost enough to make me look up tickets for the next available flight. But anyways, the last time I went to Oahu, I was with a college friend of mine named Chris. He and I were spending a week there for spring break. I'll be honest, I was enjoying the freedom of exploring the island without my family. We rented a car and spent the first two days traveling all throughout Honolulu. On the third day, we rented a car and took a road trip to the North Shore. We spent most of the afternoon there, and by the time we drove back, the sun was setting. I was driving since I knew the geography better than Chris did. It seemed like there were no other cars along the Pali Highway that night, and it felt as though the next darkness was closing around. It felt as though, yeah, the darkness was closing around the car like a fist. Next to me, Chris yawned. Hey, man, can you pull over? I need to pee, he said. Seriously? I said I glanced in the rearview mirror. Still no cars? Fine. Make it quick. 
We're coming up to coming up on Nuanu Pally Drive. I turned off the highway and pulled over once I found a good spot. With a mumbled thanks, Chris got out of the car and slammed the door. I watched him walk back the way we had come. I waited. When he didn't show up for five minutes, I became irritated. After ten, I became worried. When fifteen minutes had passed, I got out of the car. Chris, I yelled, what's taking you so long? No response. Chris. Chris, I repeated. That's when I heard a sound in the distance. It was faint, but definitely growing louder. Boom. 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 It was a drum beat, if you couldn't guess. And it was coming from back towards the highway. Down the road, I saw a line of flickering lights steadily making its way toward me. I felt a burst of fear, but I couldn't leave Chris. I cautiously crept towards the light, staying in the shadows. As a beat of the dreams says dreams, which is maybe a metaphor, but I'm assuming they meant drums, vibrated through my body. The deep, low sound of a horn pierced the air. I began to notice some details of the procession. The people in the front were carrying long spears and torches. A man in the center held a large conch shell, which he blew as he walked. I ducked behind a tree as they grew closer. The first row of people were all dressed in the capes, of Hawaiian warriors. Their eyes were glowing and flickering, just like the torches they carried. Their bodies and clothes were in ashen white. They marched in formation, chanting words I didn't understand. And then behind them, they were dressed in army fatigues. They had rifles, glowing eyes, and they chanted. The jacket sleeve of the man closest to me, there's an insignia, had like a hand carrying a torch, surrounded by a hexagon. He'd seen that symbol, the man who wrote this, from the 442nd Regiment of World War II composed of Japanese-Americans from Hawaii. It was Chris. I gasped. Again, that procession stopped. He ran away. And it was late. Uh, the legends, too late, I remember the legends that my parents told me. The night marchers, the ghosts of old warriors, are said to wander the island at night. If you do not lie down and close your eyes when they appear, they will make you join their procession. It's an interesting twist, but again, I'm reading this off no sleep, which is, of course, always true 100% of the time. And I guess that's what they had done to Chris. Uh-huh. And that is those two stories of the Night Watchers, which again, from no sleep subreddit, totally true, actually happened. Uh-huh. No doubt Well, at all. <laughs> in my mind uh-huh. it's all a fact and it was no one writing stories but this person i ate pee that's weird he didn't drink it he ate it it's i ate dash p mm-hmm. and i just said i ate pee out loud <laughs> <laughs> did, did you not think that through before <laughs> nope oh okay so i was like and here is i ate pee yeah did he just have a stroke <laughs> no he did not eat pee or drink it. I heard them once, but I don't really talk about it. It happened when I was spending the night at my girlfriend's house in Kanaho, back around the turn of the century. Her family, God, why does he say it that way? It's 20 years ago. Yeah. But I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like a long time ago. It's the turn of the century. Which it is a long time ago. The turn of the millennia. <sighs> Fuck me. Her family lived up high, overlooking the town. It was rather out of the way, and so was always very quiet at night. Her parents were out of town, and her sister was away at college, so we were the only ones home. I was awoke in a bed. 
at around 3 o'clock a.m. by a banging sound outside. I got up to check it out as I've had my fill of property crime. My fill of property crime. It's a few stories there, I'm sure. When I hear a conch shell blowing. This wakes my girlfriend up and we are both kind of taken aback. Her sitting up in bed and me standing out the window. We were still looking at each other like, did that just happen? When I hear the chanting, my blood runs cold and I drop to the floor. I remember thinking about what I was supposed to do with my eyes. I couldn't remember if I needed to shut them or if, I, or if just staring at the ground was enough. I mean, at that point, dude, what's it going to hurt? Just shut your eyes. Yeah, just, you know. Do I stare at the ground and keep my eyes wide open as fuck? Or do I close them? Dude, just close them. I'm going to close them. I'm going to close these eyes. I'm going to play it safe here. I'm going to close them. Yeah. I ended up keeping them open as I figured I was being differential and respectful enough by prostrating myself on the ground and averting my eyes. Although I never stole a glance in their direction, I could swear there were moving lights outside the window by the moving glow I saw on the carpet. My girlfriend never saw anything because she kept her eyes shut until the chanting ended. A good move. Her whole thing was, the whole thing was surreal. It could have been an elaborate prank. I guess so, but why? No one ever jumped out and said, gotcha. Gotcha. You thought those were the night marchers. Just me, Daryl. Gotcha. Fuck you, Daryl. Thought I was going to die. Thought I was going to get laser-eyed. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> nope. Gotcha. No one, ever brought, no one ever brought it up to us. Yeah, because, you know, it wasn't a prank. I guess it felt so real because someone else was there to witness it. I mean, that is the kicker, though. When you experience something with someone else, I can attest to. Two yep. people, something's weird as hell. You mm. look at each other and just go, What? Yeah. Something else. I guess it felt surreal because someone else was there to witness it and also because of how I felt during the whole experience. It was the strangest thing while I had that tingly feeling on the nape of my neck. I was never really scared. Like I could feel their mana, but not any malice directed at me. I don't know. This sounds crazy and it's probably why I never talk about it. There was a slight edit. I just asked my wife, girlfriend back then about it. She laughed and said that she remembers me freaking out. Apparently, I was more scared than I remembered. It was neither the first nor the last time she heard them, so I guess she was a bit more cool and collected. At that point, I'd be like, Honey, why do the night marchers keep following you? Yeah. Why do you keep experiencing the night marchers? Mm -hmm. This isn't just a thing people usually experience, dear. Now, around the turn of the century, um, there was an independent movie made called The Night Marchers. Um, done in Hawaii, local film. Uh, the, the IMDb description is as follows. The Night Marchers follows a real documentary crew who have, you know, real as in, it's like found footage, who have strangely disappeared following a journey to chilling Hawaiian site. On a mission to search for the site where ancient Hawaiian spirits are rumored to appear at night, a five-person documentary crew vanishes, leaving only their footage. Kevin Peterson, the crew's turn of century. I mean, this is right around Blair Witch time. Kevin Peterson, the crew's consultant, becomes concerned about the crew and flies to Hawaii to search for them. Having no luck, he contacts local police and receives the tapes. Using that footage, Peterson and the police try to piece together the fate of the crew. Did the mysterious spirits intervene? And I guess there was, um, they were making a sequel, too, within the past year or so. Oh, really? Either the sequel or uh, the actual film is on Amazon to rent for like a dollar or something. I don't think it's on Prime, but it is, it is on Amazon. But I came across that as, 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 as I was already, you know, like, neck deep in the Night Marcher stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Something I didn't have time to but may want to check out. It's on Prime. You know, is it? You can just watch it? No. Oh, shit. Got to rent it? Yeah. How much is the rent? Two ninety nine. Oh, it's... I mean... 
I always look at that stuff and I'm like, well, if I was renting it from like family video, like around the turn of the century, I would forget to return it and have like five or six bucks in late fees. Yeah. So it's like, ah, it's not bad. It's true. So yeah, Return of the Night Marchers might have been what that sequel is going to be called. The article that I had that was talking about it was released um, October 23rd, 2019, which again, if we ignore the past 15 months, could be last year. Uh I wonder if what has happened recently, recently, the past two years put a, you know, halted that. I don't know if that's a thing. If If it was finished or whatever, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, those are the, uh, that is the story and some people's totally real experiences with the Night Marchers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Night Marchers, ancient ghost Hawaiian warriors that will laser you with their eyes if you stare at them or the special sacred place pieces of their chief unless you get on the ground and close your eyes and look at the ground just don't look at them look away get out of there avert your gaze and i mean if you want to take your clothes off probably couldn't hurt it most yeah i mean you know but what would it hurt that's what they're doing in the trailer right now is it they're laying down face down with their clothes off it looked like oh my god yes and one's and somebody's got a gourd for a helmet oh i mean Got a gourd up? Yep. Is it cool Put on your gourd or get gourd. Oh, my. Oh, jeez. Watch out, Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of more gores. <laughs> Watch out, Al Gore. <laughs> You're going to get gourd. Put on your gourd, Al Gore. You're getting gourd. <laughs> Maybe I did have a stroke. I don't know. <laughs> How's your gourd doing over there? Uh, I don't know, man. It feels like feels more like a melon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Hey, do you want a real quick epilogue? Sure. All right. Because we talked about kind of how Hawaii was formed and how it became a state and how the queen lost power, right? Yes. All right. Well, United States Public Law 103-150, informally known as the Apology Resolution. Sorry. It's a gyro... <laughs> Exactly. is a joint resolution of the U.S. Congress adopted in 1993 that, quote, acknowledges that the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii occurred with the active participation of agents and citizens of the United States and, in further, and further acknowledges that the native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the United States their claims to their inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands, either through the Kingdom of Hawaii or through a uh, plebiscite or referendum. It's like, whoops. That's ours now, though, so... The apology resolution. Don't take backsies. Isn't that insane? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we did all the bad things, and like we are sorry about it, but... So that's kind of spurred on the uh, Hawaii sovereignty movement, because a bunch of Hawaiians were like, they just admitted this is still ours, <laughs> but what are we... <laughs> huh. Cool. Mm-hmm. Anyways... The Night Marchers. Night Marchers. They're scary. Keep an eye out when you're in Hawaii. Yeah, if you hear the drums, just don't go to that party. Yeah. Might Drum. not be a party. Yeah, I know it might be uh a... Not for you, at least. 
might, you might be about to get massacred by an army of soldiers with laser eyes. Uh-huh. Be careful. But yeah. Thought they were pretty banging. Yeah. That's they're, cool. They're a lot to handle. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, if anybody has seen the Night Marchers, I hope you looked away. I guess if you didn't, you'd be dead, so. Well, unless you got naked and they right, found they, you they were like, okay, subservient yeah, enough. This guy, like, respect. Mm-hmm. That probably only works on night marchers, right? Like, if somebody's going to beat you up in real life, if you, well, that might work. You know, if you took your clothes off. And just lay on the ground. Yeah. They'd be like, like well, well huh? I'm not going to beat up no naked dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get up and as the guy's walking away, you're like, yeah, that's right, bitch. It's mm-hmm. like, whoa. It's like, yeah, man. You got on the ground real fast, naked. I ain't doing anything with this. Yeah, no. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. But yeah, so anyways, if you survived an encounter with the Night Marchers, you can email us at weirdandfeardpodcast at gmail.com. Um, support us on the patreon.com slash weirdandfeared where you can listen to Behind the Veil. And uh, again, Instagram. Hit us up. Follow us on there. Do all the socials. Do all the things. Support us in all the ways that you can. Leave a message about your experience on anchor.fm slash word and feared. Mm-hmm. Little voice message. That'd be fun to hear. Yep. But yeah. Cool. I think when it comes to that, just keep an eye out when you're in Hawaii mm-hmm. for the night marchers. Yeah. Stay safe and stay spooky. Yeah. Stay spooky. Stay <laughs> spooky.